I'm back, and it's the Security Weekly News, episode 220. Welcome to the week of 26 June 2022. We've got Beyond the Grave, Kubernetes, Skimming, U.S. Law, OpenSSL, the best AIs, and Jason Wood on this episode of the Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Monitoring and maintaining compliance is a never-ending struggle with a high price of failure. Firemon helps customers meet complex and varying compliance requirements. Firemon has fully customizable reporting, analytics, assessments, and dashboards to meet the compliance needs of any organization. With Firemon, compliance reports take a tenth of the time, and real-time continuous compliance eliminates the anxiety and headaches of audit preparation. Improve security outcomes by improving security operations with Firemon. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Firemon to learn more. Right now, everybody is talking about cryptocurrency and the cyber criminals are hiding in the conversation. Cyber criminals use social engineering loaded with urgency and fear to successfully prey on your company, your employees, and your customers. Spear phishing is just one of the 13 types of email threats. Barracuda has identified 13 types and shows you how you can protect your company, your customers, and your reputation. Find out about the 13 email threat types and Barracuda email protection by going and getting your free ebook at securityweekly.com slash barracuda. That's securityweekly.com slash barracuda. All right. I really was in Switzerland. I mean, I'm not even kidding, but I, I did not do any yodeling despite, despite what, what Jason said about me. And I swear they cannot prove that was me in that crotchless Uncle Sam costume on the paraglider. I know not a chance. So they might allow me back someday. Switzerland's very nice. All right. Over 900,000 Kubernetes clusters were found exposed to the internet. Okay. Uh, now, this number only reflects, uh, this is an interesting story, and, and you might want to check it out, but the, this number only reflects that there were 900,000 clusters, not that they were all vulnerable to some sort of exploitation. It, it was just that they were vulnerable to scanning, so they were actually touching the internet somehow. Cable, Cybel, I don't know how you say that, but Cybel, I'll say Cybel. Cybel researchers did the study, and they showed that 65% of the 900,000 clusters were in the U.S., 14% in China, 9% in Germany, and so on. Uh, the number one exposed port, which had over a million instances, was 443 TCP, which, of course, is HTTPS. Now, again, that doesn't really mean that there were you know, a million instances that were exposed because there's certainly valid reasons to be running HTTPS on the Internet. Um, and certainly using Kubernetes as a cluster means for supporting web hosting would be a reasonable thing to do. But it can mean that hostile actors can begin to try to exploit these uh, clusters from there. And there are vulnerabilities in Kubernetes and vulnerabilities in Dockers that can exist that are maybe not the same as in regular servers. Cybel went on to, to look at these to see how many of the instances were at risk by seeing if a 403 error, they were running a script, so they get a 403 error back when they probed that port, which would mean that it does not allow access. And, they, uh, and, and this time, when they did that part, they found that only 200 of those incidences returned a status code of 200. So out of all of them, basically what it boiled down to was that 200 of these incidents did have uh, the ability for somebody to access the Kubernetes dashboard and, and, and in fact could access it without passwords 
And so these are, of course, people exposing their management networks again, as usual. And, and then the threat actors, of course, could access those nodes on the Kubernetes dashboard, no password, and do whatever they wanted. So, but if you think about it, 200 out of a million out of 900,000, and, and remember, so 900,000 clusters may mean a whole bunch of Dockers. So basically, that 1 million had 200 instances in it that people could actually do this, which is still terrible in a way. I mean, it's a really small percentage of the total instances, but it, it just continually tells us that we, we expose our management interfaces all too often. Um, the other point I think I had by putting this article up here was that it's really easy to use this stuff. You know, Dockers are awesome. Uh, being able to build Docker-based clusters with, with Kubernetes and other things is awesome. It's very easy to add to your network. It's very easy ways to solve a lot of different problems, but they can be very serious threats. I mean, this is like when we first started, saw people putting bit buckets up on the, in the cloud and things. You've got to start trying to understand exactly what the threats are and how these things are exposed before you put them into production. So, you know, scan your own environments and look for exposed management interfaces, exposed other things, and be sure you understand what's open to the internet. If you don't, you are going to get got. I mean, people are scanning for this stuff night and day. So you need to take action first before you put this stuff into production. Now, I haven't mentioned this in a while. And, and you know, and I wanted to bring it back up because I saw this story. You know, I don't know about you, but every time I gamble and I use not, I don't mean gamble in a casino, but like I gamble and use a debit machine or even a credit card, uh, you know, at a gas pump. Like the other day, I was using credit cards in Switzerland at the gas pump to put gas in my car. And, um, you know, you're pretty much gambling, but um, you probably pull on it, check it. You know, I always reach out and see if I think it's a skimmer. Uh, so I had to touch it. But, you know, I always like, yank on the little insert thing there and look at it to see if it looks weird. Um, but the Bank of the West issued warnings that customers likely had their debit card numbers and PIN numbers stolen using skimmers at some of their 600-plus branches in the United States with suspicious activity starting all the way back in November of 2021. I mean, they just notified them now. I mean, this is so easy to do. All you have to do is take that little small plastic overlay device, stick it on the ATM machine and you know, or a gas pump or whatever, and then when somebody slides their card through it, they've got all the information. And, you know, I always yank on those things to see if they come off. And I haven't, I've never found one, but I, I know that they're out there. And they even do them in grocery stores and other things where they've got credit card readers and they go in and replace them or stick scammer, skimmers on there and so forth. But credit cards, I don't worry about so much because the credit card companies have been pretty, uh, you know, fanatical about detecting this kind of stuff. Because the other day I ran my credit card in uh, the airport in, in Zurich. And, you know, immediately I got a, a text notification that said, your credit card was just used at Zurich airport. You know, is this you please confirm yes or no. And, you know, and I confirmed it and then their AI stuff updated and said, oh, he must be in Switzerland. And so, you know, I didn't get, I, I didn't get any more notifications about that, but if, you know, somebody steals your number, but there's no pin number. And on a debit card, if they get your pin number, that gets pretty scary because they've got your bank account information. They've got your pin. They may be able to then to generate a fake debit card and walk into a bank who uses that as an ID thing. So it's incredibly risky. And, and some old banks still use those four-digit pins for their sites even. So maybe read this article, uh, issue a note, think about writing a notification or an update to all your people and remind them about skimmers and how they work. There are some pretty good YouTube videos you could point people to that are you know, pretty straightforwardly show people how skimmers work at gas pumps and ATM machines and so forth. 
Uh, but it, it's definitely a dangerous variant of that kind of thing. So I just thought I would bring it back up since I saw that story. In the big book of going corporate, uh, you know, well, in addition to help desks, uh, recruiting, HR, I presume they have since hackers often behave badly and need to have to watch, you know, like different training videos. Well, now ransomware gangs are offering bug bounty programs. <laughs> I was just like, really? Um, so Lockbit 3.0 gang re uh, released Lockbit 3.0 and uh, they beta tested it for, for a couple of months, you know, and it's just like it's, you know, it just sounds like a corporation. Um you know, it's just kind of like the mob was practicing murders last week down in New Jersey, and uh, they, they're looking for, you know, new recruits, so contact our HR department. Um, but apparently the new version of, of Lockbit 3.0 was, was beta tested for two months, and they released, it, uh, they released it, and it's already being used in attacks. Now, if only Al Capone could have lived to see this day. But Lockbit uh, released also something new, which is the first bug bounty program to being offered by a ransomware gang. I mean, just like in public. Uh, basically, what they're doing is they're offering rewards ranging from between a thousand U.S. to a million U.S. dollars. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the statement says, "We invite all security researchers, ethical and unethical hackers on the planet." to participate in our bug bounty program. <laughs> okay. So now, <coughs> excuse me, I might be a little nervous to download that reward certificate from them. Well, why not? I mean, bug bounties work. They generate a lot of interest in free testing, so they might as well. Now, here's something to keep in mind, though. The word abet comes up. So if you're abetting, you're assisting criminal behavior. And this is essentially like, uh, I'm sorry, hang on. <coughs> Um, abetting is assisting a criminal behavior and it's like driving a getaway car or debugging ransomware. It's illegal. So most places you can get charged with crimes in your locale. I guess you'd need to contact your attorney and ask if this would be a crime. I, I would suggest one of those guys on the freeway that has an ad like in Providence that says, do you want to convert your workers comp settlement to pay your DUI fines? You know, that kind of thing. Thanks, John Mulaney. Uh, but anyway, the program goes on to include bounties paid for a bunch of other stuff, too. They offer wholesome opportunities for doxing affiliate program managers or identifying the affiliate manager of a, of a site called Lockbits Up because they don't like them. So it sounds like you getting involved is maybe not such a good idea. Check with your attorney before you decide to abet. Uh, criminals who, and they may also pay you back with a figurative bullet in the back of the head, like, you know, they'll ransomware your whole operation. So, but they have an HR department, so you can file a complaint. All right. Two U.S. senators proposed legislation called the Responsible Financial Innovation Act. Um, the RFI, I guess the RFIA, RFIA. Senator Loomis and Gillibrand introduced the legislation on the 7th of June to create a regulatory framework governing digital assets, cryptocurrencies, and blockchain technology. Now, you know, <laughs> a little bit late, but okay. I mean, everybody's already moved on to something else, but hey, they're getting there. Um, but, uh, the interesting thing to me in this story was that they put the legislation out on GitHub. So I don't know if anybody's ever done this before, but they put it on GitHub to allow people to try and improve it. Um, yeah, the invitation uses hat hip language. Like they call everybody plebs and no plebs. This is all stuff from the Bitcoin world. Um, you know, so they're, you know, it's obviously they're like, get us some hip lingo in here, kids. So they probably got some interns on site and they're like, what do you call these people? You know, we used to call them hep cats back in my day, but you know, whatever. 
Um, but they also invited neophytes to join it. So, and as you might expect, the internet responded. So there's all kinds of crazy responses to this. Probably some legitimate responses too, you know, some of which like, yeah, two years too late or whatever. The U.S. House of Representatives passed a new cybersecurity bill called the Industrial Control System Cybersecurity Training Act in an effort to strengthen the U.S. cybersecurity posture and infrastructure in light of increased Russian cyber threats. Um, this basically amends the Homeland Security Act of 2022 and authorizes CISA, which is the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, to establish a cybersecurity training initiative focused on industrial control systems, or ICS, for free. So this is one of those you know, nice government programs that hopefully has some good content. Uh, this would basically include virtual and in-person training and courses to improve skills in the sector. Uh, the training is proposed to be available to both public and private sector participants. This has been a sector that to me has been a long, long lauded as weak, and it's a sector that has long used the old security adage of security through obscurity to try to avoid having to secure a lot of things. I'm not saying they haven't made progress. But with IoT, IoT, all this stuff, uh, a lot of people enabling things in the operational technology components of ICS, uh, connecting those things to the internet, all of that has changed the ability to hide from the world with your factory controllers and to claim that you are not actually at, at risk because you, you know, you're obscure. Uh, this bill is churning its way through the U.S. process currently. Uh, it's not clear when it would be passed or if it would be passed. But it is something to keep an eye on, especially if you're a training company or you, uh, you know, somebody that's interested in that as an ICS operation. OpenSSL 3.0.4 uh, was released on the 21st, which addressed a command injection vulnerability that had not been patched. But uh, this release has another vulnerability that can allow remote memory corruption that can be triggered by an attacker, according to Guido Vranken, a security researcher. Guido claimed uh, that the bug can be exploited remotely and called it more severe than Heartbleed. So if you don't recall, Heartbleed was found back in 2014 by Cloudflare and was a missing bounds check in the TLS Heartbeat extension that can reveal a chunk of memory to someone connected to the client or server. Now, this was way back in uh, the OpenSSL 1.0.1 version era, so like, 20, like I said, 2014, 2012 even. Uh, but this new bug was reported six days ago and they said it's been fixed, but they have not rolled out an actual updated version. So Linux versions have delayed rolling out OpenSSL 3.0.4 because they don't want to, you know, replace one bug with another. Uh, and so they're basically, so if you're using some like Gen 2 and some of those, they're still using 3.0.3 uh, that, ha that have the command injection flaw in them. So a big mess. Thomas Mraz or Tomas Mraz at OpenSSL said, this isn't really a security vulnerability. I, I don't agree with him, but uh, he says it's not a security vulnerability because it's just a heap overflow. I'm like, really? I mean, I guess crashing the system, maybe they don't consider that a security vulnerability, but they called it just a bad bug, uh, which, okay, are we, uh, you know, what kind of hairs are we going to split here? Other people did not agree and agreed with me and said that a heat buffer overflow that could be triggered by an RSA signature remotely uh, was indeed a problem. And that was Alex Gaynor at U.S. Digital Service. Now, you know, as Augustus de Morgan said, great fleas have little fleas upon their back to bite them. And that, that quote's also sometimes attributed to Jonathan Swift, which would imply there were a lot of fleas on people in the 19th century. I, have you ever watched one of those period pieces, though, like Penny Dreadful or something, and you just sit there wondering, like, I wonder what that smelled like. Yeah, try, try not to. 
Um, earlier this month, I reported that a Google engineer had detected or decided that Lambda, which is a Google AI project, was sentient. Sentient. You remember that story? And uh, yeah, well, so that was a big deal. Uh, well, this article just just like, almost for fun uh, had top ten sci-fi robots in it, so I could not resist. Uh, at number ten, Hal from two thousand and one. Uh, number nine, the Terminator. You know, I'll be back. That thing. Um, anybody from Westworld was included, so it was just kind of like if if it's from Westworld, it must be. Um, but if you want an extra an extra order of cheese with that, watch the old seventies version of Westworld with Yul Brenner. That's 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 the real money there. I love that old movie. Uh, Ava from Ex Machina. That's a good one. Uh, Chappie. That's also a pretty good one. Uh, I like Chappie. Uh, Andrew and Bicentennial Man, which was Robin Williams. Eh, not such a fan of that thing. Uh, Samantha from Her. Uh, that's Scarlett Johansson. Uh, so that's a super creepy movie if you ever want to see a really creepy AI movie. Uh, Pat from Smart House. I have no idea what that, I've never heard of that. It said it said Disney. So I, I guess that's why I've never heard of it. Wally, that's a cool, uh, that's a cool one. And of course, my favorite. Spoiler alert: Deckard, of course, changed my mind. But I was a huge Rachel fan too on that show, um, and also Mother and Father, the very brave actors who wear rubber suits and Ridley Scott's Raised by Wolves, which are also it's a fun list. I thought they left out a couple of classics though that I'm going to mention: Robbie the Robot in Forbidden Planet. Come on, how could you not put that in your list? B9 from Lost in Space. Seriously? At Gort? Come on. From the day the Earth stood still. Rosie the Robot from the Jetsons. I mean, do Mintats count? I mean, maybe, maybe not. Just just one Mintat? Can I can I have just one Mintat, please? Through for Hiwat. I mean, come on. Right? Okay, whatever. Well, I did want to thank Jason for filling in for me while I was in Switzerland uh, without giving him a silly intro today, as as usual. That's how I always thank him. Um uh, so thanks, Jason. Uh, I do highly recommend Switzerland if you get a chance. It's as nice in the summer as the winter. That said, here's Jason Wood. Wow, I just don't know what to make of that. It just happens so rare that I don't not I don't find <laughs> out something new about myself every week. <laughs> I I love doing those. Uh, I think they're hilarious. I'll be honest with you. Well, I thought you did, or I wouldn't do them. So <laughs> I thought you were sitting like, oh no, not again. My whole family's the same to me. That's my family that's going, oh, no, not again. Uh, no, actually, I've given them some of your introductions, and they, they got a good laugh. Anyhow, um, maybe on to some security news thing or something like that that we're supposed to be talking about. Uh, you know, one of the things I am continually interested in and somewhat amazed by is the world of online crime and how it evolves and the different players that appear and the roles or services they might say that they offer in uh, different criminal operations. And this story actually came from a register, uh, an article on the register that was published this morning about a breach that AMD did or may not have, or may or somebody may have associated with AMD um, that uh, contained yet another little surprise, at least to me. Um, basically, it appears like AMD or somebody maybe associated with them had some kind of intrusion where quite a bit of data was copied out of their network. And uh, for whatever reason, it sounds like the attacker opted not to encrypt the data uh, for whatever drove that. Uh, however, instead of 
interacting directly with AMD, this is where the twist comes in. They involve yet another group that describes themselves as a mediator uh, between the attacker and the victim. And really their job is to make sure that the victim pays up for whatever the stolen data is. Um, you know, in some ways, this reminds me a bit of the companies that are you know, on the, the victim side that offer negotiation services for ransomware and data extortion attacks. You know, these companies see that the victims really don't know how to do negotiation, um, may not know how to deal with cryptocurrency at all. And so they offer the idea of, hey, we'll try and get the ransom negotiated down to something lower. And then maybe you can get your decryption keys for a bit cheaper. Or maybe ensure, hopefully, that the data was actually destroyed and won't be released. Um, anyway, somebody on the legal side of this chain of events decided that they wanted to step in and provide some similar representation. Enter in Ransom House, which is our mediating group in this intrusion. And it sounds like they came into being around December 2021. So they're coming up or just hit their, their six-month anniversary. Um, according to Ransom House, they're basically in possession of 450 GB, lowercase b here, uh, which people are not certain whether this means bytes or did they actually mean bits? Why did, you know, I'm assuming it's bytes and they just put a lowercase there because of whatever, but, um, who knows, maybe they decided to count it in bits. Um, anyhow, 450 GB of data from AMD that they're demanding payment for. Now they state, uh, you know, that they on their site they don't actually uh, attack the victims. They don't do ransomware. They don't any you know any of that sort of stuff. Um, they're just here to facilitate the clean and uh, mm, friendly transfer of of data, you know, and payment. And according to a group named Restore Privacy, uh, they have a blog post on this. Uh, they're not associated with Ransom House. They're just somebody who's watching this. Uh, they quoted the um, Ransom House as saying the following, and this is the quote. We have nothing to do with any breaches and don't produce or use any ransomware. Our primary goal is to minimize the damage that might be sustained by any related parties. Ransom House members prefer common sense, good conflict uh, management, and intelligent negotiations in an effort to achieve fulfillment of each party's obligations instead of having non-constructive arguments. These are necessary and sufficient principles that lead to amicable agreements and sometimes even to subsequent and pro subsequent productive and friendly cooperation. End quote. Um, there's a lot of things in this quote that just really make me scratch my head um i i i don't know um intelligent you know good conflict management um the, the opening line here our primary goal is to minimize damage uh you know really we're here just to help out we're save everybody a bunch of trouble and stuff like that and probably to collect some fees um and they did make a comment here about you know minimize any damage that might be sustained by related parties does that include the ransomware operator by maybe putting in a little arm's distance here uh i'm not sure 
anyhow, um, yeah, they're here to just facilitate the payment of the ransom by the victim and make sure that they, you know, probably get paid out of that. Um, Restore Privacy gives a bit more information about what was occurring um, with the ransom ha- with Ransom House and AMD. They they checked out the um, the Onion site here that basically you know was associated with Ransom House, and they found a sample of data that's posted there. And if you look at the the post from from uh, restore privacy uh you can see that they've got a list of computers and groups and sample of passwords may you know i'm not sure how much is going to really tie that back to amd but you know somebody inside the organization could probably compare group names and computer names and stuff like that for us on the outside that's harder to tell anyhow um so they've got a sample there for people to to check out. Uh, one thing that I also thought was interesting is how they decided to drum up some publicity for this. Uh, they announced, posted a message on their Telegram channel saying, hey, we've got a new breach to announce, uh, but we want to, before we announce it, let's do a little contest here. And they gave a few somewhat seemingly, at least in hindsight, obvious hints and said, send us your private messages to get uh, with your guesses. Now, I'm wondering if there's some kind of prize for a correct answer, but nothing was stated around that. So maybe it's just all part of the fun. Um, now, there is some speculation about what is at the root of this this intrusion. Um, is it a failed ransom attempt? So the attackers just decided to go with some professional arm twisting to to get money out of AMD or, you know, is it again possible that it was somebody associated with AMD, like a, um, a partner company or something like that. And, but you know, at this point we don't know AMD isn't saying much about that. Honestly, the, the intrusion itself didn't sound terribly interesting to me. This happens all the time, but the idea of introducing new nego- uh, negotiators on behalf of the attackers was new to me. Um, you know, and I just have this picture in my mind of the ransom note saying, Hey, we have your data, please have your people contact our people and they'll negotiate some kind of payment. Um, you know, and maybe even the sex met, let's the attackers feel like, Hey, we are protecting ourselves. We're not interacting directly with the customer. This will maybe help prevent us from being identified and arrested, or at least, you know, knowing that we have warrants out for us. So we have to stay in our country and, and not go anywhere else. Um, either ways, the, the different ties and connections between these third actor groups is, is just fascinating to me. You've got, you know, the access brokers, you've got the groups that special, uh, specialize in writing the, the ransomware and the, the infrastructure around that. You've got others who actually do the operations. And, and now we can add negotiators to that and even bug bounties. Um, so, you know, it, it, just this whole world continues to evolve. Sounds very corporate, like Doug said. Uh, you know, in the end, the whole goal here for the bad guys, get better at getting paid. And that's pretty much the name of the game for them. Uh, go ahead and check out the show notes if you'd like to read a bit more on this. All right. Thank you, Jason. Um, that Yeah, it's, it's just crazy. It's like I see these like criminal operations and I go, yeah, and it's just starting to sound like, business as usual like call our hr department if you've been wronged but then we'll take advantage of you again but who knows absolutely right. <laughs> thank you gotta get paid <laughs> gotta get paid makes sense i know the feeling when i send bills to clients all right and finally uh amazon is working on something to generate you years of therapy uh why not program your dead ancestors voices into alexa so you can say things like hey 
Alicia, I'm not going to say the, the word, but hey, Alicia, read Winnie the Pooh to the kid in my dead mother's voice. Like, ah, like what? Uh, I mean, the demo video and there's a, there's an actual demo video in the article where the person says, hey, Alicia, can grandma finish reading me the Wizard of Oz? Like, oh, no, I don't, I don't like, you know, hello, kids from beyond the grave. I mean, like, I, I just I don't understand that. I, I don't even I think that would traumatize anybody. You know, I mean, uh, according to the copy, the new feature would make loved ones' memories last. I've seen this 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 trope in sci-fi lots and lots and lots, where you know you've recorded people that are dead and you go visit them in like these weird mausoleums or whatever. But I I don't know, man. I mean, I think it's creepy when you have voicemails in your system from dead people. Like like I actually had one for a while and I kept it just because it wasn't because I was so enamored of the person, but it was just like the first time I'd ever had a dead person on my answering machine. Then I have a lot. And, you know, and are, are you just here like an answering machine message, you know, that like that person's voice, like I kept calling my friend Lou's house, you know, we were trying to check to see if the, the power was still on, you know, and you have to listen to his voice and, the, and it's like, ah, so I don't know about this. I mean, I think it could get weird, right? So, but it's an interesting article anyway, check it out. And that's the news. Thanks, Jason. See you Friday for the wrap up show. 